Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 338 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 22nd, 2014. Big show for you on a bye week for USC on the Peristyle Podcast. We talk to Dan Weber, Coach Harvey Hyde. A lot of questions rolling in after USC's loss to Boston College, even a week later. So we're going to talk about that, of course, and what the expectations are for this team going forward. If you your questions, send them in to us. Podcast at uscfootball.com That's the email address, the easiest way. Or you can leave us a voicemail two different ways. 206-888-6755 is the voicemail number or go to our website, parastylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page, right from your computer. So, pretty easy. Alright, well, without further ado, let's bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde. How you doing, coach? Happy bye week. I'm doing... I'm doing great, man. I'll tell you what, I hate bye weeks, but uh, we'll take it. We need the extra work. I need the extra rest. And I'm <laughs> able to catch up on some of the things I should be doing that I normally don't have time to do because we're doing all our shows and stuff, Brian. Ryan? Yeah, completely. I actually went, you know, for a friend's birthday party, a little wine tasting yesterday on a Saturday, which is crazy. Like, when do you ever get to do something like that on a Saturday during football season? Uh, but I guess my, maybe my man card got revoked after doing that but it was nice to actually kind of get away and, and not cover cover a game for a while um wanted to thank our sponsor before we jump in southern california tickets sctickets.com is the website or call their phone number 800-888-7287 you need tickets for anything anywhere in la or across the country go to sctickets.com they will hook you up and uh coach we have a whole bunch of questions to get to in this bye week so lots to talk about i'm going to jump right in with a voicemail question for you Play it and get your response. J.D. from D.C., a uh, question for Dan and Coach Hyde. Uh, in the postmortem after the B.C. game, I've been hearing a lot of discussion about pass first, run first, identity of the team. Uh, I'm scratching my head. I'm not sure I understand this emphasis on uh, what appears to be a false dichotomy. It seems to me you come into a game with a wide set of plays and options, uh, either passing or running. Yes, you may choose to start off with the run and see if they can stop it, but obviously don't you always take what the other opponent gives you uh, in any game under all circumstances? So I don't quite understand this whole concept that a team has to be pass first or run first to the extent that they're not making those basic adjustments in play calling during the game. Well, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, football is a game of chess. Uh, if you stop this, I do that. If uh, you do that, I do this. And uh, this is why you have people in the press box, and this is why you game plan for all the different types of situations you're in, both offensively and defensively. You go into a football game, first of all, being able to attack all areas of the field 
the perimeter inside off tackle up the middle on as far as the running game's concerned. And in the passing game, you do the same regarding what coverages they do and what routes you have best to face different coverages. And that way you have audibles too at the same time that you call the play and all you say, run play, check with me. And you go to the line of scrimmage, you check over the defense, and you audibleize it, and you run that play. Same with the passing game, check with me. Especially if people are giving you different fronts and you can't call a play, but you know that if you run that play, it is going to work anyway, so you've got to call the play on the line of scrimmage. Defense, it'll be wise. What you try to do is go into a game plan and you say, we're going to take away what they do the best. We've got to stop what they do the best because we've got to force them to do something they don't want to do, force them to do something that they're not quite as good at. And when you face a team that's good at both, then you've got to really play great defense and great offense. You've just got to be able to do that and match up uh, your players with their players. You always hear about matchups. Well, you know, you like to put your best corner on their best receiver if you can uh, regarding matchups. And on the other side of the ball, if you're an offensive uh, coach, you want to put your receiver on their, say, weakest defensive back if you can or put them in a position where you can be successful. So you've got to utilize all your players that are on the field offensively, and you've got to utilize all your players on the field defensively. And why this new uh, spread uh, option, read option, has caused a lot of problems is because the quarterback is now a great athlete. He can run or pass, and it's very difficult to stop both with him, especially when they can establish the inside running game along with the options, along with this perimeter, with their fly sweeps, their cross uh, series off of it. There isn't a lot of plays you run, but you run them out of a series and you play action pass out of them. And, of course, you have screen passes and that. And on the defensive side of the ball, when you play a team such as Boston College, you anticipate that your defensive front, which is supposed to be, if we're talking about USC, should be able to handle the offensive line of Boston College. And you turn over the inside part of the running game to the defensive front. Now, the outside part of it, you have to make sure that Tyler Murphy is contained. You can't let him beat you. Same as last year, if you remember, Brett Hundley in the UCLA game against USC. It was like there was nobody, like they had never seen him before as far as running draws and keeps and all of that. Well, it looked that same way at Boston College. Now, it's easy to say we were confused. It's easy to say we didn't teach well. But, you know, you've got to be able to put people in a personnel position where they got an opportunity to stop a guy like Tyler Murphy. You can't put a guy that can't run or a guy that can't play on the outside that's supposed to have Tyler Murphy when Murphy runs 4-5, four, 4-6, five, four, five, four, whatever he runs, and you got a linebacker or somebody trying to stock him that runs 5-flat. So you've got to try to match up. That's a term we use, match up certain people against certain teams. You, when you play a power team, you want to have tough guys in there. When you play a finesse team you got to have speed in there so uh you know and they basically admitted all of that usc and talking they went in not prepared they went in not executing what they supposedly game plan so uh it's not i don't want to second guess it but we all saw that happen so i think i answered your question yeah for sure um and i forgot to mention coach at the top of the show if you want to follow coach on twitter at coach harvey hyde you want to follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy, so at Coach Harvey Hyde or at Inside Troy. And we thank JD uh, from DC for that 
question, a uh, voicemail question, follow, kind of a follow-up to that. This is John in Oakland, Coach. He said, what is the role of the offensive coordinator in USC's current coaching structure? Uh, on balance over the past dozen years, it seems like USC has had more success more, uh, has been more successful offensively, uh, had more success offensively when there was a full-time offensive coordinator, he put in Norm Chow in parentheses, who was able to spend 100% of their time and energy on the offense, scouting opponents, game planning, calling plays, coming up with adjustments during games. Given both Kiffin's and Sark's stubbornness on the idea of relinquishing play calling, should Hayden step in and direct Sark to turn this duty over, this duty and responsibility for the offense over to coach Clay Helton. That's John in Oakland. Well, first of all, no, uh, Pat Hayden should not step in and tell Steve Sarkeesian how to coach the football team. You hire the guy and you pay him $3 million a year or whatever you pay him to run the football program. And uh, you assume when you hire him, he has the abilities to decide on who should be calling the plays and all of the above as far as selecting a staff. But then again, as I've always uh, suggested, it's very difficult to be a head football coach and the time it takes to be a head football coach, dealing with all the press, booster clubs, all the things you're obligated to, to again have time enough to dissect a a defense uh, to be able to have the proper game plan and have a perspective of what's going on. Um, I always feel, I've always felt too, that it's better to sit in the press box and have somebody in the press box calling the plays. I always had that. But I think they're more calm. They don't have the, all the confusion of the sideline as far as people standing in front of you and all of the above. Uh, there, are, there are very few now head coaches on successful programs that call their own plays. They manage the football game. Now, you'll see them ripping an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. If it doesn't work, you say, uh, you saw uh, <laughs> coaches doing that yesterday. I don't want to point out names, but you saw coaches doing that yesterday if you're watching TV. Uh, in the Pac-12, Mike Leach uh, calls his own game. Steve Sarkeesian says he's calling his own game. David Shaw says he calls it when it gets down to the red zone. Uh, Jim Moore doesn't call it. Uh, Chris Peterson doesn't call it. I don't want to go through every single team. But I've always felt that you turn that responsibility over to somebody, you agree on the philosophy of what type of offense you're going to run that fits your personnel, and you say, do it. Now, you game manage it during the game. You know, when it's third down and five, you tell them you have two plays to get a first down, or you've you got to get a first down now, we're going to punt. Or you tell them during the game, we're in field goal range, all I want is three, don't get sacked, and don't throw an interception. And you let him know in the play calling of what's going on so he understands in the play he calls, and later you don't call up there and say, why did you throw that pass? Or why did you get sacked? So, you know, you've got to, be, you've got to have control of the game itself, especially uh, when you also control the defensive side of the football. You, you say, hey, we've got to go after him more. Hey, we're not getting to him. We're not stopping him. You've got to mix it up more. You've got to do a different front. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. But as a head football coach, you should know both sides of the football and also the special teams. Most assistants have done that. I coach defense. I coach offense. I coach special teams. And I think I have a, uh, I have a feeling of what we, we should be doing and what we shouldn't do. I'll give you an example. I was a, when I was at uh, UNLV, we were playing Wisconsin at Wisconsin. I got distracted. We had the game one 
Wisconsin had the ball on their own 15-yard line, and my defensive coordinator decided to blitz. And I missed it. I missed it. Instead of playing safe, it was third and 15. They ran a quarterback uh, – no, they ran a fullback trap right up the middle, and, hell, the guy goes down to the, about the – we ran him down about the 10-yard line. They line up, kick a field goal to the last second of the game and beat us because we should have been playing safe. Keep everything in front of you. Give them eight yards. Give them nine yards. When you hit a trap, there's nobody back there, but you're playing man. It's a straight line to the to the goal line. So that will give you an example how I lost a football game because I was distracted and I wasn't paying attention to what goes on in the game. Now, I've used this illustration before either on the podcast or I have on the Trojan Brunch or one of the other shows I do. But Clay Helton, I thought, and I think this was what you wanted to hear me talk about. Clay Helton, I thought, called a great game in the Las Vegas Bowl, Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl. I thought the team dominated. Uh, Cody Kessler was on. They ran the football. The defense played well. The whole thing. Now, he was a head coach, but he was the offensive coordinator because he's basically in charge of it. Lane Kiffin was calling the plays, and then he took over when Ed Orgeron came, and he was the offensive coordinator, and Ed managed the game. Ed didn't do offense or defense. He managed the game. Well, Clay had to uh, manage the game and be the coordinator in the Las Vegas Bowl, but I thought he called a perfect, perfect football game. And uh, I said so. Well, currently right now, at the beginning of spring, at the beginning of fall camp, I thought Clay Helton was more involved in the offense. Now, Ryan, you go every day. I'm just giving you my opinion. I could see him hustling around, calling plays, making corrections, being a bigger part of the offense. But as the game games came around, I saw him sort of back away, and Steve started calling the plays. Or Sart started calling the plays. I should never refer to him as Steve or Coach calling the plays. And uh, I think sometimes you get in a rut and you force plays or you don't see the entire field, and they don't. you don't see what people who knew that know the game of football have seen. And you get away from, uh, hey, what you should be doing. Let me put it to you that way. So I, I suggest this, and it's just my opinion. I want everybody to know it's just my opinion that as a head football coach at a major college, such as Alabama or USC or UCLA, for three examples, neither of those coaches call any plays but manage the game. So I just wanted to throw that out. I think that answers the question. Yeah, no, it certainly does. And that's that's. I mean, I think it's a fair criticism when – Steve Sarkeesian was hired, and people talked about, oh, it's Lane Kiffin all over again, and the fact that he was going to call the head, the, the plays as the head coach. I think people kind of got over that, to be honest, Coach. It seems like people got over the whole, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was going to call the plays. But then, when you lose a game like that, I think it comes back into the spotlight, and that's why we're getting so many questions about it again. Oh, that always happens. You know, when you win, winning solves everything. Uh, when you lose, you start looking at everything. Even as a coaching staff, you look at everything. Uh, when you win a game, you sort of overlook things. Say, well, you know, we'll have to work on that and clean it up or whatever. But you lose a football game. That means so much to you. It's like a, a doctor doing surgery. When you lose a patient and you lost that patient in surgery but you didn't look at an X-ray or you weren't well prepared, when you come out, that patient passes away. Well, it's the same thing as this football game. You lost a football game. You just lost a patient because you're doing surgery on your opponent or a patient. 
So you can't bring him back to life, and you can't go back and play BC again. So you got to move on and try to learn from it. It's a terrible way to learn. All right, let's go to Julian. Another question on the offense. He said, I've never played football. Only have a very basic understanding of a wide, a wide variety of uh, alignments and schemes and such. So I'm asking the following question, hoping that you can help me understand a particular nuance more clearly. I was thinking about how Coach Sarkeesian wants to have a run-first offense, but that his offensive scheme doesn't utilize a fullback very often. I always thought that fullbacks were needed for run blocking. How does a run-first offense work? Without a fullback, what does an offensive scheme gain when it does not use a fullback? And finally, do you feel that USC is not following what you preach, getting its best athletes on the field, some of Anuku, Jaleel Pinner, by not using the fullback very often? So Julian has lots of questions about the fullback, Coach. Well, obviously, uh, the fullback hadn't been utilized at all so far much. Uh, I think uh, Anuku carried the ball a couple of times, once for a touchdown fullback hadn't been a part of this offense. Uh, the tight end really hasn't been a part of the offense either. Uh, Telford caught a couple of bootleg passes uh, against BC. Uh, I, I, I suggested, if you remember a long time ago, way in the spring, that with the running backs that USC had, that two-back set would not be a bad thought. Not all the time, but series. You see a lot of great teams using two-back sets high sets, split backs, different type of sets. When you have a series, you give one back to the other, you have a lead back, or you have some counters or scissors or powers or sweeps or eye sweeps outside, and you haven't seen that at all at USC. You've seen one remaining back. I don't think I've seen any type of power set yet with USC. I've seen the quarterback sneak. Uh, on short yardage, but I don't think I've seen the double tight with that. But I don't think I've seen a, I call it breaker in my offense. A lot of people call it jumbo. Uh, these other type of formations in short yardage situations. Maybe they haven't been in a lot of short yardage situations, but I don't want to say when I'm nearly not sure. But uh, yes, two backs are, are important. Uh, uh, you've got to you've got to have series in in football. When you have one back, there's only limited things you can do uh, you can run off tackle you can run the middle you can run option which they don't run uh, you can run counter you can run pistol when you run the same type of read option inside uh, you're limited in the running game itself uh, of what you can do if you and i'll go back to the game that everybody can remember uh, the most recent game bc if you remember bc ran the read option they did very good with that, with the run and Tyler Murphy carrying the football. They ran an eye. They ran an overpower type of offense, unbalanced. Uh, they ran sweep. If you remember, they scored two touchdowns on sweep when there was not much of a contain on that play. They ran option, and they ran the quarterback. Well, in USC's offense, they're running a one-man running back, and they're running one play, and the quarterback's not a runner. So basically, you've eliminated the second back in your offense, but your quarterback's not a runner. Now, when you run one back in your Marcus Mariota, you have two running backs, basically. But Cody Kessler uh, uh, is not a not a, a runner, and you don't utilize him. They really don't even defense him because they say if he runs the ball, he's going to slide. He's, he's not going to get eight yards, and we're going to hit him. So you've got to figure out a way to get outside the perimeter. They, they, they don't even run fly sweep 
where you bring the guy across the formation and either give him the ball or you fake the first back in uh, and the, the remaining back into the line and give it to the, the, the fly sweep or anything on the outside. They started the game against Boston College with a reverse. Yeah. And even set up anything yet, and they run a reverse. I couldn't <laughs> figure that first series out whatsoever, any. So I agree. It wouldn't hurt a bit to have a two-back series. As you saw Boston College do it, you see other teams do it. I think you've got to be able to have power and you've got to have speed, and especially when you don't have outside plays by the quarterback forcing the perimeter. You have nothing outside forcing the perimeter. You haven't run outside. You ran one outside sweep, I think, once and got some pretty good yards, eight yards. I call that pretty good yards, but you don't see it very often. Now, I'm not charting it, but I'm, I'm just speaking on the, the topic that was asked. Uh, well, let's talk some defense now, Coach. Uh, Tarek had a question. He said, last year our defense seemed to be more of an attacking team, while this year we seem to be more of a reactionary team. Wasn't this the problem with Monty Kiffin's scheme, too complex and not suited for the team that we have? That's Tarek. Well, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, this year's team is not an attacking team. Uh, people expected the front of USC to be stronger, and, and right now I'm disappointed in the way the front's uh, defense is playing. They're not dominating. They're not driving the uh, offensive linemen backwards. They're not stopping the play before it gets started. Now, occasionally they are. I mean, I'm not saying they've never done it, but they're not dominating with their preseason uh, rec- uh, publicity. And then people say, well, they don't have the depth. Well, every single backup player at USC, and I don't blame this on anybody, is a scholarship player. It's not like he's not a scholarship player. They're too deep at scholarship players as far as rotations are concerned. Now, Towns is a scholarship player, but he's been out because of the chicken pox. But Temple's a scholarship player. Uh, Simmons and Pallone are scholarship players. Both Defensive ends are scholarship players. I mean, two deep, three deep, whatever. I mean, I know there's a lot of young players playing, but you've got to be able to dominate the front, the front line, and they have not done that. They have not put really a pass rush on anybody, and I think you have to go after people. I really do. You've got to, you've got to be able to disrupt an offense. You've got to be able to get them out of their rhythm. And uh, if you don't do that, then you're going to continually control the football. Now, they've had their moments of brilliance. Don't let me uh, – I know some people say, hey, coach, they stopped – yes, they have had their moments of brilliance. They have. But you've got to have it consistently. If you remember in the Fresno State game, they didn't play defense consistently on the front of the line for a period of time. Fresno State drove the football. You've got to be able to be dominant up front, both offensively and defensively. And defensively, I don't think their down guys have really done what everybody expected them to do. And uh, against a power type of offense, like Stanford was, where they don't run a lot of option and so on, they will. Kevin or uh, Logan or uh, what's the quarterback's name at Stanford? Hogan. Logan. Yeah, I had the right name. Kevin Logan, is, Hogan. can run well. Huh? Hogan, sorry. Hogan, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, he's, he's, see, that's that's history. Yeah, you can't talk about it in the past. Uh, he can run well enough to beat you, believe me, on draws and things, but not like a Tyler Murphy. 
and uh, the defensive ends at that time were, were in a position to handle him. But when you when you're going to face Kelly, you're going to face very how do you going to face some guys that can run the football? Believe me, the Solomon kid from Arizona is a quick kid. Uh, with that win they had in the last, can you believe 36 points they scored in the fourth quarter against Cal? Wow! And one in the last four seconds. That's that's unheard of. That's not that's believing, man, or, or having some luck, or or they Cal had to help them somehow. But you yeah. can't score 36 points in one quarter. But um, defensively, I think that the front hasn't performed. Uh, I think that the secondary has been good enough to win. I do. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens. Uh, you know, against BC, it wasn't just talent. It was not being in the right position to even perform what was going on or have an understanding, like I said earlier, to understand that they do have Tyler Murphy and what are you going to do about your outside plays? Every play they ran outside made yards with yep. the option, with the keep, and with the toss and the sweep. Every single play so you better have a plan whatever your plan is i'm not game planning but whatever plan it is make it so that it fits your talent so it works that's the best way i'd suggest it um on a another defensive question or some observations this is for david in orange county he actually talked about the whole team but we're just going to focus on the defensive part right now because we talked about some of the other things already but he said as far as the run goes stopping the outside run would have maybe worked if the outside linebackers played wider at the edge. They were pushed inside, which created the room outside. He said, if speed is a problem, maybe USC needs to play faster linebackers on the outside, like Quinton Powell, Ichena and Wusu, Sua Cravens. Also bring one of the safeties, uh, like Gerald Bowman, up and close to help with the run. The linemen and the inside linebackers will close the middle. And as far as the passing game goes, he said, I feel the if real good by the corners at this time. The run protection is the main problem with this USC team. He said, just my thoughts. It'd be interesting to hear what coach thinks about this, by the way, where do I hear coach Hyde's post-game review? That's David in Orange County. All right. Uh, my post-game review, uh, I'll answer that first is uh, Trojan brunch. I do that on Sunday mornings on ESPN LA from eight to 10 AM. Uh, you can call in on that show. It's a two hour show. I do that with Pete Arbogast. And then I do a post-game review immediately following the game on a Las Vegas station that carries USC football. It's KSHP. That's KSHP.com. You just go in there and you hit play or you hit listen or whatever it is, live programming, and you'll be able to get that, that show. I do that immediately following the game, not after the post-game that's the regular post-game show. As soon as the game is over, they come on and do normally an hour of post-game, just like we do this podcast with Marquez. So uh, if you want to follow that. Now, as far as your thoughts on, on the linebackers and playing a faster team or a team that has a, uh, a threat with a quarterback and to the outside, I agree with you 100%. You've got to have athletes outside. You've got to be able to mirror the person. You've got to keep your shoulders square to the line of scrimmage, not turn them in. That's what they read. You've got to anticipate the quarterback's going to carry the ball every single time. You don't guess. You look there, you sit there, you wait for the fly sweep. You sit there and you wait for, you close down, but you stay square. You look for the fly sweep. You look for the back breaking back with the football against the flow. And the, but you also watch the quarterback, you, and, and, and you have to do that. That is the job. 
and you've got to be quick and you've got to be an athlete. You can't be not an athlete playing that position. I agree with you 100%. This gentleman obviously has football background to be able to understand that. So those are the responsibilities of your defensive end because everything now is a run read and the backs break back. Well, if the back has the ball and breaks back, you make the tackle. If the quarterback comes out, you're in a position to stay square, but you can come up and make the play. You don't have to – you've got to just make the tackle. You don't have to knock the guy out, but you've got to stay square. You've got to be an athlete where the guy can't duke you out. Stay square with him, make the tackle. Don't let him break the line of scrimmage and make a big game. Now, so that's the way you've got to play it, it's, it's, and, and I think that it's a difficult play, don't get me wrong, because talented athletes are t- tough to, to tackle in space. But if you can slow him down a little bit, you can get help. You'll get help from uh, your, your safeties, uh, inside safety, strong safety. You'll get help from pursuit from the linebackers. But just let him come out there naked and run the football like Tyler Murphy did and Hundley did a year ago. And so that, that, that just doesn't work. That just doesn't work. Yep, it's a difficult thing to defense. All right, Coach. Uh, let's see. We have one more defensive question I wanted to get to. Let's see. We'll do uh, Lamar from the AV. He says, my concern is with the defense. Since 2009, USC and 125 FBS teams have not come close to stopping the spread run attack. Auburn, Oregon, Baylor, A&M, ASU, and others are able to run different styles of this offense. And other than Stanford, none comes close to stopping it. Saturday night, USC defense seemed confused, and the coaches couldn't fix it. The only coach that looks like he has a blueprint on stopping it is the old Stanford defensive coordinator at Vandy, who's not doing very well at Vandy, by the way. Uh, Saban can't stop it either. Is this because of the IQ of the Stanford kids are higher than others, or what? Teams need a bye week to prepare he put prepare prepare against this style of play. Uh, P.S. Look up USC's worst defensive performance in the last hundred years. The past ten have been the worst. That's Lamar from AV. Well, Lamar, let me let me tell you. We went back to that on in the first segment. Uh, you've got to dominate up front, and Stanford dominates up front. They're playing on your side of the football. If you watch the Oregon game, and you watch the games that Stanford played against Oregon, they're dominating the front. Uh, the, the run, there's no run. They just shut that off. Uh, when they try to run a little bit outside, they're penetrating and stopping the play before it gets started. Uh, they're forcing uh, the outside. Uh, they're forcing the quarterback before he can get running. Uh, I mean, uh, if you watch the games they played, when Mariota carries the football, he's, he's not even making a yard. He might make one or two yards because they're off their blocks, they're penetrating, it's all disrupted, the handoff isn't smooth, there's no rhythm in their offense. It's absolutely amazing how they dominate the front of the Oregon line. That's what you have to do. You've got to dominate it. That's why in the Southeastern Conference their fronts down there dominate this type of offense and they're able to be successful against Oregon and other teams like that. So uh, it all starts with the front seven and the down three guys or down four guys disrupting what's going on penetration giving them the inside smacking them stopping the play before it gets starting started uh, throwing the rhythm off taking the confidence away from the quarterback because he's not sure if he's going to get hit or not uh that is what stops this type of offense it's a simple offense as far as number of plays. I would say number of plays in the Oregon offense is probably four plays, five plays, but they all come from different formations. 
different sets, different motions, and they're all put together. You do this, we do that. And right now, when you look at SC's offense, they just do one play. So when you just do one play and you're not worried about the quarterback carrying the ball, it's simple to stop. Uh, so it makes it difficult to run that one play over and over and over. So uh, you've got to be able to be physical up front. We thought this year that, or I thought this year, don't say we, I thought this year that USC would be far more physical up front. Yeah. And basically, Ryan, if you watch it, they're not dominating anybody. No, I agree with you, Coach. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to go silent, silent oh. on you. But <laughs> I, was like, I didn't oh, mean I to cut the wire, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. The end of the th- <laughs> Sorry, Coach. The end of the thought yep, there. Sorry. No, I agree. Yeah, I thought the front would be, be playing better at this point. Um, not a lot of sacks. You're not seeing them play on the other side of the football, and I think that's a lot of the reasons why you saw Boston College kind of run whatever they wanted to and go for over 450 yards rushing, which is an absolutely – uh, crazy total. Well, we, um, we got a couple more to get to, Coach, before we let you go. Uh, Gabriel wrote in. He said, thanks for posting Sark's media scrum. I thought that he gave good reasons in the defeat. So we, Steve Sarkeesian spoke after the Boston College loss. He said, I felt that he was sincere to the fact that he made some mistakes and took the blame. I understand it will take time, and I truly believe Sark is the right guy for the job. I think with everything the way it is, L.A. is waiting for USC to be a juggernaut again, as it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 2000s. The 90s weren't the best under Steve Smith and uh, Coach Rob babysitting until the mistake of hiring Paul Hackett. Uh, Can you give us a feel for the team? Within the locker room, there's chemistry and a brotherhood. I see these young men play best under adversity and an us-against-the-world mentality. Look at the big games from last year to this year. The losses come when there is no urgency and no adversity. Let the guys know the fans are behind them as players. Some comments from us are, are not for them, but for grown men that make great salary, and they should have these young men ready to go. Thanks again. Love the site. Gabrielle. Well, thank you very much. And uh, a lot of things you say is true. People at USC or major football programs want to, to win right now. But it's a little bit different now than what it used to be. What I mean by that, in the Pac-12, let's just take the Pac-12 conference, you just can't all of a sudden come back and be a dominant force. Now, last year, of course, USC won 10 games, but they didn't win the South as far as the Pac-12. I think they took third. I think Arizona State won, UCLA was second. I think USC was third, if if I'm correct here. And it's very, and yet they still won 10 games because the Pac-12, 12, when you look around the Pac-12 now, there's no gimmies. When Pete Carroll came to SC, there were some gimmies. What I mean by that, if you just go out and play your game, you're going to win that football game because you have better players. There isn't that anymore. Oregon used to be the doormat. Oregon is not the doormat anymore. Oregon State, you've had trouble with them every single year, no matter what. Mike uh, Riley does a great job up there. Arizona under Rich Rodriguez is not not the same Arizona program or Arizona State now to Todd Graham. I tell you, they are tough. And UCLA, we find this out. I'm anxious to see if Kelly plays when they play Thursday night against UCLA. I know Hunley will play. There's no question in my mind. And the rest of the pack, Stanford, Cal now is getting better. Uh, Washington State, hell, they almost beat Oregon. 
Yep, Nevada Reno kicked their butt. So once they get going, I'm telling you, there isn't any gimmies in the Pac-12, so it's harder to get back to that level of dominance. It really is. But it takes time and belief and great recruiting and be lucky. You got to be luck. Luck always is part of it. Injury-wise, fumble-wise, turnover-wise, all of that stuff that goes along with it. Uh, so, you know, you got to keep working at it. You got to give. You know, it takes nine months to have a baby. Even if you want to have it in seven months or six months, sometimes you do. But normally, it takes nine months. So you've got to have faith. You got to make sure that your kids still believe. And you can't blow a game, which we all knew they did against Boston College. There's no, and I have to credit Steve Sarkeesian. He stepped up and he took the hammer and understood that that team wasn't prepared, wasn't ready to play, plus the game planning and the calling of the plays and all that offensively and defensively was not up to par. So now we wait to see if the next surgery like I talked about earlier, the doctor, if the next surgery is going to be the same, is the patient going to die or is the patient going to live? And I think that's the way you have to look at this each week when you play a football game now because uh, the parity is is, is is good as ever. Look at the parity. Now, Utah, you think Utah's a gimme now going to Utah? They're 3-0. and They beat Michigan and Michigan. You think... Uh, I forgot to mention that as far as the, the West, is, is, the, the, the South. SC's got to go to Utah and play that Wilson kid and all of those big offensive linemen. And uh, I'll tell you, there aren't any gimmies in your schedule anymore. So it's far, far harder. UCLA now is much better, too. I forgot to mention that and give all the Bruin fans their due because they are. It's not that type of league any longer. So... Uh, I think that answers the question. Certainly does, Coach, and uh, great stuff from you. We appreciate it, and a lot of questions this week during the the bye week. I wanted to mention one thing before we go, Coach, and uh, if people don't know, um, you, when Pat Hayden had that $25,000 fine, someone on the peristyle stepped up. Pat Hayden wanted to donate that to Autism Research and specifically L.A. Children's Hospital, um, and one of the posters on the peristyle came up with an idea to try to get everyone on a USC family to match that $25,000 donation of Pat Hayden's to LA Children's Hospital for autism research. So they started a a fund, and you can see the links on uh, uscfootball.com if you want to get involved in it. Um, They're still accepting donations. We're over $20,000 now. So I guess just a little over a week, and we got $20,000 of the $25,000 that we're trying to get the the matching program for. So check it out if you want to to donate a few bucks and, and go to that great worthy cause, LA Children's Hospital for Autism Research. And we appreciate it. Started start start on the peristyle, coach. It was like a grassroots kind of thing, and uh, really pretty cool that, that the USC family's been able to raise so much money already and trying to match Pat Hinton's donation. Let me ask you this: Could you check something out for me? Sure, coach. I heard, I heard my buddy Larry Scott. You know he's my buddy. You know that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, I heard he didn't allow that that fine for Pat Hayden to be given to the Cedar Sinai High School Hospital. Right. You're, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's true. It's exactly true. I heard true. it secondhand. Is that true or not? <laughs> yeah. Pat Hayden tweeted that himself. Um, and we put a story up there. You can see it should still be on the front page of uscfootball.com, kind of explaining everything that happened, a story that I wrote. 
And uh, yeah, Pat Hayden uh, tweeted out that Larry Scott would not let his fine that he wrote out a check to, I think it was specifically LA Children's Hospital for Autism Research. Right. Uh, they sent it back. They sent him his check back. He had to pay the Pac-12 their fine, and it would go to some scholarship fund. So Larry Scott would not allow his donation to go to the the hospital, but he made a donation separately from his fine to go to the hospital. So he ended up paying $50,000 basically for the fine, half of it, the donation and half of it to the PAC 12. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was the best move on Larry Scott's part, to be honest. Well, I'm not quite sure. He's been working real hard on the PAC 12 network to get on direct TV. <laughs> so I just, I guess that was just, you know, he got distracted and didn't know what he was doing, but it worked out. I'm glad that they did receive the funds. And again, I want to, uh, say thank you to all you out there that listen to the podcast and, and do give to charities such as this. It's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you, Coach, and everyone else. Uh, back in a minute, we're going to talk with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber join the show. A bye week action, Dan. Got some uh, a whole bunch of questions to get to, but people still talking about that Boston College loss. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, the combination of still talking about Boston College and a lot of questions. And <laughs> Uh, you know, I thought they got some work done, uh, you know, this week and uh, got a lot of guys, uh, you know, involved that maybe hadn't gotten as much action. I'm not sure they answered any questions yet. Uh, we, you know, we still have them, and I think we're going to have them, uh, you know, through through uh, the Oregon State game for sure and maybe uh, the Arizona State game as well. But the questions there are. Lots of questions, and uh, one of them is actually about the bye week, so I wanted to – Start off with that one. It's Lamar in Lancaster. He said, uh, this bye week came a week too late. I noticed this season the conference has two off weeks rather than traditional one per season. They should uh, come after your toughest opponents. For example, USC's next bye week should be between UCLA and Notre Dame, and of course it's not. The last loss has to be tough on the kids after such a big game the week before, and I know as a fan I was disappointed. It's an experience that will teach them humility. Question, does the athletic director choose which weeks are the off weeks, or is that done by the conference? That's Lamar and Lancaster. I don't think, you know, either one. I think basically it's, uh, you know, when do you, uh, for example, get the return game with uh, Boston College? Now, uh, uh, I'm not going to be sarcastic here, but Boston College had their big matchup with Maine last this past weekend, so I'm sure they couldn't move that game. But you're right. It would have been nice to arrange uh, your bye week. Uh, if you're going to have one in the first three weeks, it would be nice to have it after the Stanford game rather than after the, uh, you know, Boston College game. But, uh, no, that, those are kind of you're on your own uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, working those things out. 
uh, and I do wish they would probably coordinate some things better uh, league-wise, and I think they're probably going to uh, in terms of who you're playing. I don't think they liked it. Uh, you know, the week uh, when uh, I guess five Pac-12 teams were playing on the road against non-Power 5 conference teams, which just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, I thought, for example, uh, a week ago with the Boston College game, both USC was three time zones away and UCLA was two time zones away in Texas. Then this week, nobody's home. So you've got two straight weeks in L.A., when there's no college football game, then next week you at least get one game. UCLA uh, plays that Thursday night game, I believe. But it just seems like uh, kind of a waste uh, to have uh, two games. Uh, both teams are on the road one weekend, and then the next weekend neither one of them is playing. And it just, uh, you know, with the kind of college football, I mean, uh, L.A. is the only town in America that has two college football programs, two college football stadiums like uh, L.A.'s got, and you would like to see them maybe coordinate that a little bit better in terms of, uh, you know, how they uh, how they work the schedule. Yeah, and it, you know, you can't schedule it so it, it's not the school can schedule their own bye weeks and say, oh, we should have one after Arizona State or blah blah blah. I mean, it's just that's just impossible to do. So they can't they can't do that. But like Dad said, I mean, I think the conference can do a lot better job of of making things work a little smoother. Um, sometimes it works out well. I mean, Arizona State this year has to play UCLA and USC back to back. Uh, I mean, is that good or bad? I mean, there's there's a lot of different aspects of the schedule, and sometimes it can be fair. Sometimes you think it would help, but it doesn't. Sometimes you think it's a burden, and it actually helps you. Um, but like you know, like Dan said, I agree. It would be nice to not have USC or UCLA, <laughs> you know, one team playing a town at least once a weekend. Yeah, and then last night, for example, the two late games uh, on different networks were uh, both Oregon and Oregon State. You know, and it's again. Oregon's not like a big population, but I would guess many of you, if you're a college football fan in Oregon, you'd like to watch both of those games yeah. rather than have them at the same time. So, again, uh, whether that's possible with the way all the networks, you know, are set up, you know, and, and that, I don't know, but you'd sure like to see the, you know, the leagues maybe take a little stronger hand. You get the sense that probably the SEC has a, has a stronger hand yeah. in terms of how those <laughs> things are, are done. No question whatsoever on that. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, okay, so we have James in Kansas City, kind of a long one. I'll, I'll read, there's a couple parts to it. I'll read you the first one, get your comments, and then we'll we'll go with the second part. But he said, uh, your post-up BC podcast discussions with Dan Weber give rise to a couple of questions. And he puts in parentheses, I admittedly, I am ad- admittingly among those who do not favor the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian. However, that decision is in the past, and for those who want to use the BC game as proof that he is not the right person for the job, I would remind them that once upon a time, not only was Pete Carroll hire, the Pete Carroll hiring ridiculed, but even further back, there were those who were against the hiring of the first time around of John Robinson, who probably, who promptly endured a home opening debacle against Missouri, only to win the next 15 games. But he said, this team reminds me mostly of the 2006 team, where Sark was the offensive coordinator, the offensive line was sometimes problematic. And Cody Kessler reminds me a little of John David Booty, not Rob Johnson. That team experienced a very disappointing loss to UCLA, but bounced back in the Rose Bowl against Michigan. Early in that game, the offense struggled, but Sark made adjustments, uh, both with blocking schemes to prevent blindside pressure and simplifying restricting the play calling to include going away from the running game when it wasn't working, resulting in a monster game 
for Dwayne Jarrett. Do you foresee anything similar possibly happening going forward this season, not to the extent of Lane Kiffin force-feeding Marquis Lee, but perhaps featuring Nelson Aguilar a bit more downfield? Hey, I thought it was Lane Kiffin. That, uh, remember, that was the year of uh, co-offensive coordinators, wasn't it? Uh, so uh, I don't think we've ever been sure of uh, who was it that uh, uh, convinced Pete to just throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball second half against Michigan. Honestly, I, I guess I think I always thought it was more Lane than uh, than Steve. But uh, you know, who I don't think we'll we'll probably ever know. Uh, you know what exactly you know was the story there, uh, other than uh, Pete was convinced to just throw the ball, you know, like crazy. Uh, if only that person, whoever had convinced Pete, was around at Boston College uh, last Saturday and, uh, and hanging around the locker room because they might have started throwing the ball a little bit sooner after halftime. Uh, but, uh, you know, one would think that the third straight week you will probably not hear Steve say, I think I was a little bit too stubborn in doing this or doing that. I would think stubborn would be a word that we won't hear as much anymore. And if the run isn't there, I don't think they're going to, you know, they're going to stick with it. Uh, and, and it basically, if you're going to run up-tempo uh, offense, the offense they're running, you cannot have, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, however many it was, eight, uh, three or four and out. Uh, series, you just can't do that. You've got to keep the ball. You got to you got to get first downs. You got to keep the flag moving. You got to keep the offense on the field. And if you're getting three and out, you can't run an offense. I mean, and so it's just absolutely you have to take what they give you. If they're giving you the short passing game, or if they're giving you whatever they're giving you, you better take it. And, and to say you know well, maybe a little stubborn running the ball, nah. No more stubborn. You better get first downs and uh, figure it out. They've got enough talent on that offense to uh, to take what people are going to give them, uh, but they don't necessarily have enough talent with you know three freshman offensive linemen and another you know kid that that is starting his first time uh, to be able to just say we can do whatever we want no matter how you stack the box or whatever. No, they can't do that. So we'll see if. Uh, if the thinking that prevailed in the second half of that Michigan Rose Bowl prevails this week. And the uh, second part of that, he said, uh, defensively, I wrote previously observing that the lack of interior defensive line depth appeared to be resulting in fatigue as the Fresno, Ga- uh, Fresno State game wore on. I listened to an interview recently with San Diego Charger Center Nick Hardwick where he explained the reason for conditioning to run the football was to induce fatigue amongst an opponent's rush personnel to eventually slow down the pass rush as the game wore on. Assuming fatigue is an issue, what options options do you see us having? He said, I would uh, guess in terms of creative scheming to use defensive end outside linebackers to deal with this issue. That's James in Kansas City. Well, I think a big part of it is keep the offense on the field longer. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, longer drives, uh, more plays by the offense, I think is, is, you know, it's critical. Greg Townsend coming back this week will – will help a lot. Uh, having Leonard closer to 100% will help a lot. Doing things, uh, I mean, you just haven't, I mean, we've been surprised that we haven't seen, uh, you know, uh, that much impact with, uh, you know, Claude Pilon and Delvon Simmons. It doesn't look like they're doing a lot of things to, um, you know, allow those guys to make plays. Um, we'll see. Hopefully that, you know, some of that happens. Uh, I think, you know, people have been, 
pretty uh, shocked at the play of, of, of the guys on the outside that they've been, you know, getting, uh, you know, put in places in space where they really just don't seem to be very comfortable in making plays. They haven't tackled well. And uh, it doesn't look like they've maintained outside leverage and, and enforced, uh, you know, outside in like you, you, you'd really like to, uh, you know, like to see from the guys on the edge. Uh, haven't seen much of, of Quentin Powell, who's one of the better uh, open field tacklers on this team with, with good speed. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues right now with the defense. Uh, I'm not sure fatigue is more of an issue than, than a lot of the other things that they've got going in scheming and, uh, you know, just basic uh, things like pursuit angles and, uh, uh, you know, tackling. Uh, a lot of those things, I mean, they've probably got more depth, they've certainly got more depth than they had last year, and that was, you know, a top-ten team defensively nationally. They had a couple of breakdowns, but uh, essentially that defense showed up to play Every game, uh, the Boston College game was pretty scary in terms of, uh, you know, uh, execution, uh, communication, uh, you know, pursuit, tackling. All of those things just seemed to break down. Uh, you know, there's a lot, lot to work on for Coach, uh, you know, Wilcox and and his guys this week. Certainly do. And one thing he mentioned early on, Dan, I just wanted to address. It gets a little old when you hear people say. You know, people don't like this hire, but what about Pete Carroll? And like they, they mention that all the time. Like if you don't like the hire, or if it if something doesn't go right. But remember Pete Carroll. And to me, Pete Carroll's not the rule. He was the exception to the rule. So, you know, when people talk about, they said the same thing when Lane Kiffin was hired. I and mean, you could say it for any bad coach that gets hired for the rest of history. I don't think you can po- point to Pete Carroll and say that's why you should have hired this guy. I mean, Pete Carroll to me, that's an exception, not a rule. Yeah, but I doubt, and he's proved it. In the NFL, I mean, uh, how many guys have been able, to, you know, to do what he did coming back to the NFL? He's in a kind of in a place by himself. I think the one place you might talk about Pete Carroll is the thing that I was always impressed from the first moment around the program was that the emphasis and the ability to to do two things: run the football and stop the run, and that was tough man football. And that was what Pete, you know, believed in. And uh, once they were able to run the football, uh, and once uh, they were always basically uh, able to stop the run, you know, there might have been an occasional quarterback, uh, you know, like Al Roberson or whatever, the Kansas City kid, you know, every once in a while, somebody like that. But basically, if you went to, you know, a USC game, you were going to see somebody who was going to be able to run the ball on you, and they were going to be somebody who was probably going to make it pretty tough for you to run the ball. And both of those things did not happen last Saturday, badly. I mean, they couldn't run the football no matter how hard they tried and how how much they did it. They tried too much, and they couldn't stop the run against a team that couldn't throw the ball at all. That, was, uh, that would probably be as far from a Pete Carroll coach game as you could possibly get. And so it's more, not so much, you know, I think in general, Pete and the way Pete does things that are all his own, you know, his, you know one of a kind, but more than just the, the general thought of uh, we're not going to let you run the ball and we are going to run the ball. And neither of those USC could do. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, Dan. So, okay, thanks for that one for James. A lot of, got a lot of discussion out of that one question. Um, let's see, let's go to, there's an international question. Uh, we got, uh, Michael in uh, Ontario, Canada. He's like, Ryan, hope you're uh, 
transition to scouts going well. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's, it's going great. We've been uh, a little over a month now, so it's been good. He said, so angry. He's so angry over the BC loss. And just looking at the body of work over the three games, the, squ- the questions on play calling and offense, I'm sure, will be plentiful. So I'm going to focus on the defense. And he had three points. He said, one, linebacker play has been very weak. Is this scheme related or are our guys either too small or too slow? With the exception of Hayes Pollard, there are a few of uh, any plays made in the backfield. Two, he said, we're getting no pressure on the quarterback. I think we have four or five sacks over three games. And three, what has Justin Wilcox brought to us so far? This D has no identity and is getting shredded. Love your show, Michael in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> well, I think Michael is uh, – <laughs> Point number three is, is uh, you know, kind of the, you know, where where you got to look because I mean, let's face it, his linebackers aren't any smaller than they were last year, you know, they were, I mean, Hayes Pillard and, and uh, you know Anthony Sorrell, after Lamar Dawson got hurt, you know, it's the same guys uh, on the inside. Uh, you're certainly, you know, I mean, essentially the same, you know, size uh, on the on the edge, uh, so. I, you know, one would think, and, and you know, you've got you've got still got Leonard Williams, and um, you've got some pretty good athletes and some bigger, actually bigger athletes than you had last year. So one would think right now it's more scheme related than anything. It's just, as you said, no identity exactly, and um, um, I think they've got to figure out who they are and how they're doing things, and you know, that was a tough deal. Boston College really, uh, you know, caught them with two different, you know, options, blocking it two different ways, running it two different ways, uh, and they just weren't. I mean, it was a tough, tough time to, you know, to be, uh, you know, coming off of a 3,000-mile trip and beating Stanford and uh, with a young team and probably listening to everybody tell them how good they were, and they had all that on top of it. But, uh, again, that's where – that's where coaches come in and coaching, knowing your team and all that. And this is a new staff, and maybe they learned, uh, you know, something from it. But, uh, but I, yeah, I don't see them doing things to free guys up as much. I don't see them. I mean, we were told this was going to be an attacking defense, and uh, it just doesn't look like an attacking defense. Uh, and so, so we'll see uh, if they've got, you know, what it takes to to make this work. And um, and so far. You know the jury is out. I mean, had Stanford, you know, done, you know, had somebody else call the plays in the red zone, uh, that game wouldn't have, wouldn't have been so pretty, and the results wouldn't have looked so good, and the defense wouldn't have probably, you know, they gave up a lot of yards and just luckily didn't give up any points. But uh, uh, defense has uh, it's got a long way to go, and uh, and I think these two games are two different teams. There's two different, uh, you know. Oregon State and Arizona State, as you could as you could expect, uh, but uh, uh, this is a real big challenge. You know, the next two weeks for this defense. I think the defense. I mean, I think the offense is absolutely fixable. There's so much talent there. You can't screw it up too long. I mean, you're gonna, you know, just by, you know, eliminating doing the bad stuff, you're gonna get the offense to where it has to be. But the defense. Um, there, there have been some signs that you just really wonder what the heck's going on with uh, with this defense. Yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of questions there, Dan. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Andrew Hogue. He said Cody Kessler's been such a breath of fresh air, even considered to Matt Barkley. He knows which team to throw to 
and is so efficient. Do guys think? Do you guys think he stays for another season? Yeah, I think so. I, I really do. I mean, I guess they could really, you know, have one of those just absolutely great runs, maybe, and end up in a place we don't, you know, we don't think they're going to end up, or we don't, you know, you wouldn't favor them to end up there at this point uh, as a young team. And he could, you know, just have that kind of strong finish where it's so obvious that uh, there are people at the next level absolutely in love with him. But in a year where there are so many high-profile quarterbacks just in the Pac-12, one would think that it wouldn't be that obvious that you're going to come out and really be uh, on the top of a number of people's lists. Now, whether whether you should or shouldn't be, uh, it's neither here nor there. It's whether you would be. And one would think he wouldn't be and uh, and would uh, have another year to, to really, you know, cement uh, his – uh, image going in, you know, to the NFL. So uh, I would think not. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Dan. I don't think uh, I don't think you're gonna see him go anywhere, no matter what kind of goes on this year. But we'll see. Uh, he waited a while, and <laughs> he's ready to go. Um, JD in DC had a, a question. He said, "I thoroughly admire your unfiltered and completely necessary candor." about uh, things post-Boston College game. Uh, if the same spirit, I'd like to condense the myriad of obvious things to criticize down to one core observation. It's the alpha and the omega of why we lost last weekend. Assume BC plays the same inspired, well-coached football in front of a home crowd under wet, cold conditions versus a flat, thin USC team lacking strong physical corners like Josh shot to stop the run, a Leonard Williams operating at 50% of normal speed, a morale killer like Andre Walker uh, is yucking it up on the sidelines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our tackling, blocking alignments are no better, dot, dot, dot. If Steve Sarkeesian, so all of that stuff. He said, if Steve Sarkeesian would have stayed in L.A., does anyone doubt that we win this game? I think Sark can be a great head coach at USC, but you can stack the two games offensive play calling you could you can stack the last two games of offensive play calling. And he says, I hesitate to use that word. Um, against the word of Hackett, Lane Kiffin, and he puts those he compare those guys together. Sorry, it's a little convoluted what he's saying there, but he's basically saying if Steve Sarkeesian just stayed home, USC would have won that game. That's JD in DC. I want to get your thoughts on that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can understand how somebody would say that. Yeah, I mean, it's. it's uh... There was a stubbornness there that didn't need to be there. I mean, I, you know, what if you just uh, threw the ball to, you know, Buck Allen 15 times and had him run at only nine instead of having, you know, the reverse? Uh, I mean, Boston College still hasn't figured out to stop him. They didn't have the athletes to do it. And there were some, there were some issues. It's, uh, you know, we're going to run it no matter what. I mean, I, I know that there were times when Cody was looking over there and it sure looked like he was wondering – you really want to do this? And what seemed to surprise me was that uh, he didn't have the ability to audible out of, you know, if they're bringing, you know, three or four guys up inside and you got a, you know, run called inside, certainly that happened a number of times where you were running right into the where they were bringing their defense. And I can't imagine Cody didn't have a sense that that was coming uh, and that they didn't have the ability to get out of that play and get to something uh, which would, you know, get back outside or, you know, little quick slants and those kinds of things. I mean, I, I, I was pretty shocked as to how unprepared they looked uh, offensively 
and you know it didn't probably help in terms of perception that you know the final two series uh, they they finally get a nine play drive and a ten play drive both scoring drives in you know two minutes whatever and you think gosh could they have done that if they'd have you know tried that the rest of the game uh, you know would they have been better off throwing the ball sixty times and are there going to be games when maybe you're going to have to throw it 60 times? And I guess people, you know, look at USC and think, well, if they couldn't, you know, Stanford couldn't stop them. Uh, as it turned out, Stanford couldn't beat them anyway. And Buck Allen got 154 yards or whatever it was against Stanford. Uh, we better not let Buck Allen, we better not let them run the ball on us uh, or we don't have a chance. So basically Boston College sold out and said, we're not going to let you run the ball. And USC said, oh, yeah, we're going to run it. We're going to run it. Well, <laughs> you know, with, with that many young offensive linemen and with all the, the changes, you know, that Boston College has given them, they know they couldn't run it. And, uh, you know, when do you say we can't run it? You know, how quickly do you say they're not going to let us run it, but we're going to take advantage. All we want to do is beat them. We don't care, you know, if we have to establish the run or do this or do that. No, what you want to do is get in there, beat them, get out of there, and, uh, you know, if they don't let you run it, so what? You just beat them, you know? I mean, that was uh, – that might have been better. You know, would you have had a better game? I know uh, during practice this week, Sark let uh, Cody and Hayes call the signals um, in the backup bowl on uh, Thursday on the final drive to show them how difficult it was. And <laughs> I'm not sure – you need to show them how difficult it was. I think you need to show them that you know what you're doing and you're <laughs> going to put them in the best plays that they, they can be in. And I think that needs to be determined. We don't have to show them how difficult it is for them to call plays. I think what you want to do is show them how easy it is for you to call the right plays. And that you know applies to you know, Sark and, uh, and Coach Wilcox. And they got a week to, week to start showing that. We will see. We'll keep watching there. So JD and DC thinks that if Sark just stayed home, USC wins the game. So it's a little harsh, uh, but we'll we'll see going forward if that comes into play. Um, Jim had a question. Dan, he said, "Love the show. Thank you, Jim." I'm not sure about this, but it seems that Cody Kessler was hanging onto the ball uh, too long, quite a bit during this game, especially on the sacks. Am I wrong? Again, I'm not sure, and I only watched the game once. What do you think? If I'm not wrong, is he holding it on? Uh, uh, excuse me. If I'm not wrong, why is he holding on for it too long? Is it because he just won't put the ball in the air unless he has a wide open receiver, or is it because the receivers are not getting open? Thanks. Fight on from Jim. Well, I mean, they were. He, he was 31 of 41, I think it was. So that's, that's actually not not too bad. That's like um, I'm not a math genius, but it's somewhere above 75 percent. And you uh, because are. Those are pretty good numbers. He did get sacked five times, uh, and that's not good. And those were plays where he was trying to – I mean, one of his strengths is that he can elongate the play, and he can, uh, you know, uh, do a couple of things. He's got a couple of quick steps, and he can, uh, you know, extend plays. And he's really tried to do that, and this was one of those days where you extended the play, and there was, still wasn't anybody there. Uh, some of that, I think, were – those were not, you know, especially favorable routes. It, it is a little bit surprising against a team that's really trying to, you know, stop the run that they would have had uh, had that that kind of success. And uh, nothing seemed to be, 
you know, clicking in terms of one would have thought now at the end they didn't sack him his last two drives. So, uh, uh, you know, USC seemed to, you know, finally figure it out. But, um, but, but I, I wouldn't blame it on Cody. I think with Cody, if he gets sacked and, and because he's trying to extend the play, it's not that he's holding on to the ball too long. He's waiting, to, you know, trying to get somebody. Uh, and that's one of the things they've done well as the receivers have, have kept running their routes and running to the sidelines and they run a lot of crossing stuff. And, uh, and if Cody can extend the play long enough, very often he can, he can complete something, you know, especially to Nelson right before he crosses the, uh, you know, the, the boundary. And uh, that didn't happen as much in this game. But, uh, but if I, if it's me, I want Cody extending plays. I want Cody, uh, you know, completing 31 out of 41. And I don't want him throwing the ball too soon. And uh, you know, I kind of like the way I, I like the way he's doing it. Would I like to see more? You know, more guys get open quicker. Uh, yeah, I think there's something wasn't happening. Uh, you know, that you would have liked to have seen uh, obviously happen a little bit better. All right, and then we got one last one for you from Julian. He wanted updates on three players: one, Josh Shaw; two, Ty Isaac; and three. Max Whitick. And I don't know if you saw it, Dan, but the Ty Isaac thing actually broke the other day where the NCAA did not uh, approve his hardship waiver, so he does have to sit out a year. He's at, actually at Michigan. So that I know that one, right. but if, if you want to talk about right. – and, and I think Ty – that was just by the rule. He was uh, – he had to have gone to uh, – the only school he could have gotten eligible immediately, according to the NCAA's, like, 100-mile rule, was Northwestern. If he did, Once he went past – if you say I'm going home for a family reason or whatever, but then you go to a school, you know, a couple of hundred miles from home, uh, that, that doesn't pass the uh, the NCA's test. So that that knocked him out. And it was pretty. It would have been a shock if he'd have been allowed to, uh, you know, to play right away. Um, uh, Max Wittick, uh is, uh, from everything I know, he's in, he's in he's in Hawaii, and uh, trying, you know, he's just there for to sit out a year, and then. Uh, He'll finish up next year for for Norm Chow if Norm Chow is still there, and uh, that's I think part of the question is if you know you go to you know to play for say Norm, and Norm's kind of under the gun, although you know I guess they've been hanging in there, although that doesn't necessarily translate into victories for Hawaii, but uh, and then uh, but Joshua, you know, still in school. Uh, Supposedly, we're hearing that his uh, he's, uh, he successfully rehabbed both you know the two ankles, working with the, the USC trainers. I mean, I think a lot of it's going to depend on uh, you know are there any legal issues involved in, in whatever happened that night, and then uh, how does the team feel about it? I think the team is going to have to you know decide. I know people around the team think he's going to be back. Uh, but, you know, again, while you're waiting for, you know, the potential of some sort of, you know, LAPD investigation, I don't know that that's anything that USC has any control over in terms of, you know, how that, uh, how that plays out, you know, you don't want to, you know, like you've seen what's happened with the NFL. I'm not making any comparisons in any way to the circumstances or anything. It's just, you don't necessarily want to make, uh, uh, you know, uh, come down with a decision before you have all the facts and then have to, you know, scramble again. So, um, so 
that's about as much as I can tell you. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Bye week podcast. We had a whole lot of questions to get to and stuff, and hopefully uh, we answered them. We did. I answered the best of our abilities. Hopefully it was to the satisfaction of all of our listeners out there in Peristyle podcast land. But thanks again for yeah, coming on. And I show. guess the hope is forever after the bye week, we can put the Boston College game behind us. Uh, that would be probably the best thing that could happen for this team this year, <laughs> for these players and these coaches and USC's fans, if they can be you know, thinking about something else. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Oregon State game behind I – mean, the Oregon State game was such a pivotal game last year. And I think, you know, and, and, and that team, you know, the way they showed up in Corvallis and, uh, and just took that game over, I think, uh, you know, this – the Oregon State game can be another pivotal game for a new group of, you know, coaches with, uh, with a lot of these same players. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, everyone else, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Enjoy you listening to the show. It's great for us, and we love sending all those questions, especially international ones. Thank you, Michael. And we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 